that could even lead to a situation where the market uh, sees uh, the low 3000 in the S&P uh, in uh, late summer uh, of 24, after having seen a high uh, before in the first quarter. And then that will bring on uh, a weaker economy because declining asset prices hurts the consumer. Welcome to Thoughtful Money. I'm its founder and your host, Adam Taggart. As 2023 begins to draw to a close, investors are feeling substantially better than they were at the start of the year. And as we enter 2024, where's all this headed? Will today's asset prices shrug off the growing litany of macro concerns and power still higher in the new year? Or will 2024 see a return to the downside? I can't think of anyone better to ask these questions to than today's expert, Felix Zuloff, founder and CEO of Zuloff Consulting, who presciently predicted that we've entered the decade of the roller coasters, where markets will rise and fall dramatically as the natural forces of deflation battle it out with the rescue efforts of the central planners. Now, Felix manages a prodigious amount in assets, so he doesn't have the luxury of having an opinion without conviction. He's got a strong picture of where we are in the current market cycle and is allocating his capital accordingly. Felix, Thanks so much for joining us today. I know you don't do many interviews, and I'm extremely grateful you've chosen to return to this program. It's always a great pleasure to uh, speaking to you, uh, Adam. You do such a fantastic job, and uh, we have known each other now for a while and had the opportunity. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, gosh, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, thank you for being one of the early guests on the new Thoughtful Money program here. Uh, I've been waiting very eagerly for this interview, Felix. One, because, as I mentioned, you don't do too many interviews, and it's always great to catch up with you and hear what you see ahead. But I've got to tell you, you are the number one most requested interview that I have. So in between <laughs> in between your, your infrequent appearances here, it's just a rolling thunder of people saying, when is Felix coming on next? When is Felix coming on next? So I'm, I'm so glad we were able to finally scratch that itch for them. Um, well, look, I've got a lot of questions for you, Felix, and I know it's been a, a pretty interesting year. Um, if we can, though, uh, can we just start at the high-level uh, question that I'd like to begin our discussions at, which is, what's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? The global economy is actually quite weak. Uh, uh, U.S. investors forget that because they are focusing on the U.S., and the U.S. is uh, virtually the only spot that is still doing well. Uh, Europe is stagnating or recession, uh, all, a borderline of recession. Uh, China is stagnating, uh, uh, struggling with secular structural issues that will keep China from uh, going back to high growth, as we have known for many, many years. And uh, and and the U.S. is the um, hot spot. And I expected the U.S. economy to be weaker than it turned out. Uh, I expected to be uh, to see the recovery in the stock markets from the lows last fall to be temporary, and I think the Fed um, uh, made a mistake by easing too much. I think they underestimated the bank uh, reserves and added uh, too much liquidity, and are still adding too much liquidity that really turned uh, the recovery into a mini bull cycle that I expect to peak in the first half and most likely in Q1. 
uh, when the Fed will realize that they added too much liquidity and we may run into inflationary problems again. Um, and uh, uh, the most extreme consensus that I see in today's world, according to the Global Fund Manager Survey by Bank of America, is that uh, we are dealing with a soft landing, uh, that the bond market is the most attractive asset to own by far, actually much more attractive than equities. And I think that um, uh, consensus will be tested because when uh, forecasts and experts agree on something to such a degree, usually something else is going to happen. <laughs> and my hunch is that uh, the surprise uh, in the first half of the year is that the U.S. economy who turn out to be stronger than expected and could create some problems for the bond market. And that the second half, due to higher as another spike in yields and rates, um, the second half will be weaker than expected. So we will get uh, both sides. Um, first, the stronger version and then the weaker version. And I think that will also impact the markets. Uh, 2024 could be one of those few years that we have had in the history of the stock market where we have an important uh, new high and an important low in the market, uh, like uh, 2020, uh, like uh, 2018 or 2022 actually also. Uh, then you have to go back to 87 and then further back to 62 and 37. So it doesn't happen very often that it has happened uh, more often in the last few years really um, performs according to my expectation of roller coaster markets in this decade. And I think we will get more of that. So I expect uh, the stock markets to go to new highs, uh, probably uh, shy of uh, 5,000, uh, 4,900 or something like that in the S&P. And then a big decline, and that decline could surprise on the downside for the one particular reason that never before in history have portfolios been so concentrated in so few stocks. And so when the market begins to decline, um, investors and portfolio managers have the major asset that is um, the FANG stocks, uh, the Magnificent Seven. And I think they are in for a big decline and they will bring the indices down. And that could even lead to a situation where the market uh, sees uh, the low 3000 in the S&P uh, in uh, late summer uh, of 24, after having seen a high uh, before in the first quarter. And then that will bring on uh, a weaker economy because declining asset prices hurts the consumer. And then we have um, a soft recession, a mild recession, and that brings uh, the authorities back and stimulate again what they always do. And they inject liquidity. And then we have uh, a running market to new highs in 25, and maybe even into 26, and the same for commodities, and that will bring back inflation in a bigger way. So I think the next wave of inflation in 25, 26 in particular, will likely be way above 10%, 
and will create problems for the bond market. And that will then trigger the next wave down in the stock market in that roller coaster picture that I alluded to before. Oh my goodness. Um so much in there. <laughs> um, a lot of excitement, Adam. <laughs> it, it's definitely not boring what you just said. And <laughs> and it really does uh if, if this comes to play, Felix, and your track record has been very good so far, um, then uh, you were absolutely right in, in describing this as the decade of the roller coasters. Um, I'm almost thinking, you know, I've been to amusement parks, you've got the roller coasters that go up and down. You also have those those rides that are like the, uh, the free fall demon drop rides. And it sounds like we're going to have a few of those possibly in here too. Um, if we that, go from that's near a possibility 5, next year, that's a possibility next year. Yes, it's difficult to forecast such an event uh, because it could be, you know, the trigger could be an outside event or it could just be what I described the heavy concentration, the historic concentration of uh, of assets in the equity portfolios. All right. Well, look, I, I want to dig into. To all of this okay so if i if i heard you right and i've been taking notes furiously um you expect that um next year as you said could be one of those rare years where we see an important new high and an important new low sounds like you think we're going to enter the year strong um everybody feeling good market run up to new highs um economy is looking good at least in the us at least you mm -hmm. said the other places are are, are much more weaker um, but then somewhere in the first half of the year, sounds like you think maybe near the end of Q1, um, that's where things peak. Uh, and then things start to, the wheels sort of start to come off after that. Um, the big market risk you see is this concentration of the magnificent seven stocks. Um, I, I'd love to dig into in, in just a second why you expect them to falter so much. Is it just because they're so overvalued? Is it because the economic growth that they're priced on just isn't going to show up? But anyways, when those start falling, because they are so ubiquitously owned uh, and drive so much of the indices, if they go down, they're basically going to bring the whole thing down with them. And you think it could go as low as perhaps 3,000 on the S&P in 2024. So that really would be kind of like a demon drop from that high of near 5,000. So what, what is it about the MAG-7 stocks that has you so worried right now? Well, uh, when you go back in the history of concentration in the markets, there have been a few points in the past. Uh, one was uh, in uh, 73 uh, with the Nifty 50s, and those were 50 stocks. And uh, and they declined after, after that peak. They were also uh, overvalued, uh, uh, excessively priced, like today's Magnificent Seven. And they declined between 50 and 90% thereafter. Uh, because Not because those were bad companies, but because they were overpriced and the high concentration in the portfolios was in those stocks. We had a similar thing in, uh, in the year 2000 with uh, uh, technology and TMT was uh, the buzzword, uh, technology, media, and telecom stocks. Um, when Deutsche Telekom was trading at 100 times uh, earnings, uh, things like that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you also you had you also had a big decline in in those stocks. Uh, I recall 
because I had a mandate for a major investment bank uh, in European stocks and I underperformed in the last part of 99 because I was underrepresented in those stocks. I, I did well, but I underperformed slightly and the new management took the funds away from me and put the money into two new funds they launched a technology fund and a telecommunication fund. Uh, one was down 80% and the other one was down 90% thereafter, you know. And and this is when a Fed goes to an extreme. And you have to keep in mind that it's not just the US. When passive investing and indexing has become uh, a new institutional trend, and in retail investors invest with institutions and institutions then invest by indexing. And those who do not index, they are closet indexers because the business risk of not be close to the index is just too great. You know, and therefore I would say that uh, probably over 80% of today's capital invested in equities is indexed or sort of indexed. And if you didn't want to underperform the market, you had to be overweight uh, mm -hmm. those those stocks. And I recently read that uh, in the large hedge funds portfolios, they see up to 70% invested in 10 stocks. Uh, that's a heavy concentration. Now, when you invest from wherever you are in the world, in a world index, 62% go to the U.S., out of those 62%, 30% go into those seven stocks. So this is a extreme concentration. And if the market, for whatever reason, begins to correct and decline, that's the assets they can sell because all the other assets, they are, they, they are underweight, you know, mm -hmm. in a way. And therefore, these could magnify the decline and exaggerate the decline so the decline does not necessarily relate to the real economy but it is a technical factor in the market and people often forget that because they believe in earnings and earnings trends and valuation and corrections and secular uptrends etc etc and and i think uh, the risk is uh, coming from another direction so sometimes market technicals can get in the driver's seat beyond that stuff, yes. right? Yeah. And yes. uh, so this is about, in many ways, net capital flows, right? Yes. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with Michael Green from Simplify, but, but he calls this uh, the giant mindless robot, which is we just have these algorithms that, as you said, as capital comes into the market, given the way that uh, funds are indexed, uh, indexed right now, um, as you said, it's 30 something cents of every dollar coming in that goes into these top seven stocks, right? Yeah. Uh, so it just keeps feeding the beast. And his warning, his warning, which I think you're you're giving a similar one here, is boy, if that ever goes in reverse, you know, you start having this this uh, outsized effort of the 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 draining uh, of of, of uh, you know, this disproportionate share from those stocks and from everything indexed to them. And so it can kind of begin to bring the whole house, house of cards down much faster than the market is currently even imagining could happen. That's exactly my point, too. Yeah, I do not know him, but I have never heard uh, 
uh, about him, but I'm sure he did uh, his homework because because we come to the same conclusion. <laughs> he, he is a very smart man, um, uh, and uh, I'm sure he's going to love me mentioning him in your company here, uh, Felix. Um, but uh, but anyways, this risk is a, is a massive risk, uh, so big that you know again you 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 think that it could you know no guarantees, but it could essentially cut uh, the S and P by forty percent next year is is sort of what you're thinking from peak to trough on your your guesstimates there. Um, so I, I normally save this for the end of the conversation, but why don't we start digging into it right now? Um, so uh, how, how are you planning on positioning for this, right? We've got maybe a, a quarter left of, uh, you know, um, happiness and sunshine in the markets, uh, and then you expect things to get really rocky. Um, are you already positioned for the turn now, or are you going to play uh, write a position into Q1 and then make changes to your portfolio? I have uh, very light long positions because I think it's late in the game. And my long positions are more in the cyclical stocks that uh, have lagged uh, badly, and they are now catching up. And I think the cyclicals, due to what I said about the economy, the surprises could be that the economy holds up longer and surprises by holding up longer, uh, that the cyclicals have a catch-up play and, uh, uh, and, and, and could even outperform the Magnificent Seven into the peak. Uh, but I'm very light on that and dancing close to the exit door. My, my um, uh, intention is to go short... Uh, Nasdaq and S and P indices in a in a big way, uh, sometimes in the first quarter. And I'm waiting for for the signs to see. You know, we are now we are now at about sixty percent bulls in the numbers I look at and check. Uh, the lows are normally uh, in the market at twenty five to thirty percent. We are now at sixty percent. The highs are normally at around seventy five percent. So we still have a little bit to go. On the sentiment side, uh, we still have more to go on the trend and momentum side. Uh, I think uh, over year-end, uh, central banks will be generous with liquidity, and this will help the markets as well. So I, I think it's too early uh, to go short. And and we are at, uh, what, uh, 4,500 or something like that, and mm -hmm. not at 4,900 as I, as I expect. Okay. Um, so first off, when you say that you're light long positions, does that mean the majority of your portfolio is just in, you know, short term cash and cash equivalents like high yielding T-bills? The big bulk of uh, the money is uh, cash. Yeah. And cash okay. is paying a decent, uh, decent yield. It's unlike uh, a few years ago when we had negative interest rates in Europe. Uh, you know, that hurt. That really hurt. It's so a could, different world from just a few years ago. It's a ago, different it? world. It's a different world. And in that context, it's important to understand that the 40-year secular downtrend in inflation and in interest rates has changed in 2020. Uh, I, I wrote in mid-2020, I entitled the report I wrote that this is the sell of a generation for the bond market. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we traded at uh, half a percent uh, 10-year treasuries at that time uh, and went to 5%. So that was probably the first upcycle in a new secular uptrend. And, uh, and what I see into uh, later next year 
is a down cycle, maybe down to 3%, plus minus 25 basis points. But in between, we could have an aberration uh, late first quarter, early second quarter, uh, that we see another spike uh, because the bond uh, conviction is so high and so extreme. And and I've just seen recently a survey done by J.P. Morgan's Treasury desk uh, uh, among their clients, and their clients are more long treasuries than ever in the last 20 years. So this tells you how extreme the situation is. And when global fund managers uh, uh, say the bond uh, market is the best uh, asset to own over the next 12 months, uh, that feeds into this. It's an extreme consensus, and usually extreme consensus like this uh, go wrong. Last time we had an extreme consensus, which was lower than today in the bond market, was in late 08. And we had then one decline, maybe 100 basis points, and then it spiked higher, and 12 months later, they were all losing money. Uh, so uh, I, you know, I think medium term it's still going on, uh, and and I thought the first decline could be to 370 or so in 10-year treasuries, and then I would uh, be cautious uh, because it could spike to five and a half percent or something like that before going further down. Okay, um, so I just want to repeat that to make sure I heard you correctly. You could see over the course of next year, um, bond yields coming down, say to like 3.7%. So continuing the, the recent trajectory of lowering bond yields. Um, but um, as things get wonky, you could see them having uh, a surge uh, up to maybe 5.5%. But then as, as the wheels really come off, the S&P goes down to say perhaps 3,000. You see bond yields could get down to about 3%. Let's say it actually follows that script. It sounds like from what you said earlier, you then expect bond yields to start going a lot higher from then as the central bank really gets going on its rescue efforts. So 2025, 2026, you would expect higher bond yields, lower bond prices. Is that correct? Very much so. Yes, very much so. The point is that uh, we live in a world that is ever more levered than before. And that means that in each cycle, the central banks have to inject more liquidity than in the last cycle uh, to keep the system afloat and, and prevent it from breaking down. And, uh, and that liquidity then flows into asset prices. And therefore, I think thereafter, you could see um, 6,000 on the S&P uh, uh, in, in late 25 or, or even early 26. And uh, we then launched the second up-leg in commodities. You know, with the low in stock prices, we have the low in commodity prices. And as you can see, commodities, with the exception of gold uh, and a few others, but the commodity complex is actually performing poorly because the world economy is not doing well. Mm -hmm. The world economy GDP grows at 1.5% at present. And 1.5% in the past 50 years was a recession, a global recession. And that is reflected in the commodity market. Once they begin to uh, push liquidity into the system, commodity prices will go up. I do not expect commodity prices to fly in the next cycle because of very strong demand, but because of curtailed and restrained supply. 
You have mm. to keep in mind that uh, we are in the transition period from the previous um, unipolar US-centric world order to a new multipolar uh, order and we have now disorder and we have rivalry and conflict and wars and uh, and the two parties the US with the G7 on one side and China with the BRICS and other organizations on the other side they are in conflict and i think um, about two about three quarters of the world's commodity supply comes from the big BRIC countries so they will use that weapon in that conflict as the us is using technology in the conflict and therefore they could uh, reduce supply and make uh, prices go higher which helps them and hurts the other uh, opponent of course you know on that i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this there's, there's so many forces that lead the people i talk to to say that they expect to see commodity prices go higher secularly, largely due to supply constraints. And on one side, it's due to lack of investment in, in CapEx in a lot of these sectors. And so that that's just in and of itself. And in many ways, it's, it's decisions that were made 5, 10, 15 years ago that we're going to be paying for going forward because there's just there was underinvestment. Um, but then there's um, this, what I like, I like the term you use, this multipolar disorder, as opposed to unipolar order, um, where um, one, we just have more people competing around the way global competition for the, the, these remaining resources is becoming um, more intense because you have a lot of countries and regions that can compete more with the West than they were able to in past decades. And then secondly, these actually may be used as you know, tools of, of, of warfare or, or competition. And, and this, is a, this is a small example, but um, uh, the week we're talking here, Felix, uh, Venezuela apparently just decided that they're going to uh, basically annex a region of their neighboring country, which uh, uh, Guyana, which I'm, I'm sure they, the Guyanans aren't, aren't for this at all, right? But it's, it's basically when things start getting uh real you know when when uh when when the chips you know are on the table it's kind of going to be sort of every country or every trading block for itself um you're nodding a little bit as i'm saying this but is that the kind of future you see more of going forward absolutely you know uh we have a world where the top dog is considered to be weak the u.s and uh and uh, the discipline in world order is gone and therefore, for the last uh, two years, you have seen more and more conflicts that were underneath the surface surfacing. Uh, it was Armenia and Azerbaijan, Serbia, Guyana, Gaza, uh, you name it. And, and we will see more of that. I started writing about uh, coming conflicts and wars in 2018, and I, I was laughed at uh, by many at that time. And and here we are. Uh, the the war in Ukraine is uh, it, it's not over, but it's lost uh, for the West. Uh, you, uh, Russia is winning that war, and I said that from the very beginning. Uh, you see what's going on in the Middle East. Um, the uh, Arab nations uh, that were in conflict with each other uh, to some degree, Iran and Saudi Arabia, 
have now lined up uh, on one on one side and uh, they uh, uh, request uh, certain achievements and behavior by Israel and, uh, and and there is a big problem you see that the Houthis uh, are attacking ships in the Red Sea so the Suez Canal is becoming dangerous in in, in a sense and ships have to go around and you have uh, lines up uh, in Panama because the lake uh, uh, has not enough water. And this could also lead to bottlenecks and higher inflation in the mm -hmm. months to come. Uh, people forget that. Uh, you know, the, the fully globalized world that was working very well uh, for the consumers uh, is over. Uh, it's deglobalizing or it's regionalizing. Nationalism is on the rise. Conflicts are on the rise. It's a completely different world you cannot compare. And this world and, and wars are inflationary. So we are on a secular rise in inflation, and we are now seeing the first cyclical decline in inflation that will be over in 24, and then we go into the next rise. So it's a, it's a different world, and those who are extrapolating the trends of the last uh, 15 years into the future uh, we'll probably wake up uh, in an uncomfortable position at some day. Because they'll be basically essentially using the wrong playbook for the new, That's right. new era that we're in. Okay, That's so right. it, if I can, let me just ask you a few questions to try to make sure I suss out the vision of what you told us um, in terms of uh, how you're planning on playing this. So <clears throat> you're going to remain light long uh, up until you know, kind of end of Q1, uh, where you're then going to start loading on your short positions um, in anticipation of this this pretty extreme fall. Um, so there's there's the op there's basically sort of three opportunities to make money next year from your playbook as I read it. Um, one is writing things down on the shorts, um, which it sounds like you're going to play. Um, one is is playing the um, your expected declines in bond yields. I don't get the sense from you that you're you're going heavy into that, but correct me if I'm wrong. And then the third is just waiting for the dust to settle, S&P to get down to 3,000, and then deploying a ton of liquidity, uh, you know, and buying things at much better valuations in anticipation of the ride over the next year, two years to 6,000 S&P, and of course, potentially a rocket ride in the commodities. Um, which one of those are you kind of putting your chips on? Um, you know, the, I, I think uh, the stock market will decline below the 3,500 level that we saw last fall. But I'm not married uh, to the idea that it has to be the low 3,000. So uh, whenever I see the right signs in the market that the bottom is forming, I go in and I get long and I place my bets. And I'm also uh, very keen on commodities because I think commodities, uh, they are a thinner market, less liquid markets, and therefore you could get uh, more bang for the buck uh, even yep. than, in, than in equities. Um, so commodity-related stocks, commodities and indices, that's the way that I plan to go. You are right. I will not play the bond market uh, much, uh, or certainly not aggressively. Uh, the current medium to decline will probably end sometimes uh, in the first half of Q1. 
and then we are in for a potential spike. I'm not sure it will develop, but there is a potential for a spike to higher highs. And uh, if it's not higher highs and it's just a rebound, we'll have another decline and we will trade a little bit, but we will not have uh, huge positions because the secular trend in the bond market is against uh, is against investors. Okay. All right. And, and I, I appreciate you clarifying that because I would say one of the biggest points of difference with the experts that come on this channel um, or coming on this channel recently is some think it's one of the best times to be buying bonds right now and moving out on duration uh, and others are not. And it sounds like you see some opportunity there, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not a, a safe enough bet for you to really want to put too much money at work in there because you see much better opportunity to get returns. If you, you play you know, your arc, right. It's, it's interesting you say that because when you make a peak in yields, a secular peak, like in 81, and I wrote a report then, the buy of a generation for bonds. It took several years until about, I think, 85, until the decline in yields really started, mm -hmm. really started. And it was just uh, moving around up and down at a high level. And uh, and this is uh, was the conviction of uh, bonds being certificates of confiscation, as they called them at that time. <laughs> Due to the bad experience of the previous decades of rising yields and declining prices. And I think the same is going on just in reverse. You know, people saw the fantastic returns on bonds now for 40 years. We had now a very serious bear market. I think it was the worst bear market in bond history in 50 years, cyclical bear market. The downdraft in the ETF, the 20 year treasuries plus was uh, over 50%. Uh, and therefore, they see the opportunity, which I understand. And there is an opportunity, but it's a trading opportunity and not an investment opportunity. Got it. Okay, great way to differentiate it. Okay, so um, I'm just going to make a plug, Felix. Um, next year, uh, if you start seeing the signs of a market bottom, right? if it does start following the trajectory that, that you think it will, um, obviously, after you tell your uh, private clients, um, you are welcome to come back on this channel anytime you like and let <laughs> us know as well, because we're going to have a lot of really interested people who want to know when you think the light turns green. Um, so, uh, again, it seems like you see big opportunity. Uh, you know, if we hit somewhere around 3,000, then you expect the SP to be 6,000 within a year or two. That's a doubling. Um, commodities you think could perform even better, especially the commodity related um, companies. Um, could you speak for a moment, you mentioned it super briefly, but could you maybe speak for a moment about gold and maybe the dollar as well and just what you expect to happen to gold and currencies during this time? Yeah, I'm I'm not as bearish as the consensus on the dollar. That, that's another consensus uh, together with the soft uh, landing thesis. Uh, uh, the consensus is for a weaker dollar. Uh, we have seen two medium-term declines. Actually, we are in the second medium-term decline of the dollar of the September 22 peak. We had one decline, then a recovery, and now we have another decline. I think this decline is not quite over yet, but the bigger part of the decline is behind us. It could in an extreme way go down in the dollar index to 96 or so in an extreme way, but not more than that. And I take that also from the euro, 
which is sort of just the other side of it. And the euro, when you look at the um, 50-year chart, uh, using the Deutschmark, uh, uh, you know, recalculated to the euro, uh, 115 is about um, a cement type of resistance. It's very, very difficult to break through. And 112 was the recent high. And uh, we are now at um, 108, uh, touched uh, 110. Uh, briefly. So I think we are in the later stage of this medium-term rally in the euro or the medium-term decline in the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar, of course, has many pitfalls as all the other fiat uh, currencies. Uh, longer term, they all get debased and eventually they will disappear. Uh, but when the world is in havoc and in and uncertainty, rises dramatically because of the changes that I alluded to in geopolitics, capital of the world, around the world, is trying to look for the safest place. And uh, Europe is not the safest place. Mm -hmm. Asia is not the safest place. And I think the capitalists of this world consider the US uh, the safest place. It's not perfect, you know, but I would say it's the least dirty shirt in the laundry. Uh, and, and in that sense, I could see more capital flowing again into the dollar. And I expect uh, together with interest rates bouncing in uh, sometimes from a first quarter low, I think the U.S. dollar will try to attempt to rally also. Whether that rally will be powerful or not, we have to see. Uh, I think the dollar will be in trouble once the U.S. Fed will begin to ease. Because when the U.S. Fed eases, the dollar turns weak. When the U.S. Fed tightens, the dollar turns strong, irrespective of what other countries are doing. Virtually irrespective. And this is because the dollar is still by far the most dominant currency in the world. Mm -hmm. It is still by far the most prominent currency used in international finance. And therefore, if the US begins to ease, we have a much bigger amount of dollars coming into the global financial markets than any other currency. And that's why it will turn weak. Uh, you know, it's sort of the mocha cup and the bathtub uh, differential. You know, when you use water and it flows over, it doesn't have it doesn't have the same effect in the bathtub as in the mocha cup, and and I think that's that's what we will be seeing in the market. So from a first quarter low, early first quarter low, I guess we will probably see another rally in the U.S. dollar. Uh, I cannot say how far it goes. Uh, I don't think it will be dramatic. Uh, the gold is uh, gold is interesting. Uh, gold. Uh, 2024 is the 80th cycle low of gold. And I think sometimes we hit the low sooner uh, uh, than the theoretical low. So I think we made the low this year. And the low is behind us. And we have had the first rally. We broke to new highs. We had a sharp uh, short-term reversal uh, that will uh, put the damper on the gold bucks uh, sentiment uh, for a while. Um, the big buyer in gold is China. 
and gold physically has been moved from the Western world to the Eastern world or the global South, so to speak, the, the former emerging market world. And they need, uh, because they are moving away from the dollar as a reserve currency and uh, because the dollar has been misused as a political weapon uh, against Russia. And they and that really told the world that if you are not in agreement with the U.S. and you have a problem with them, they could take all the assets away mm -hmm. in U.S. dollars. So you better invest in something else. And therefore, dollar comes to mind. And that's why that part of the world is buying physical gold. And, uh, and, and that is bullish for gold. What was interesting, the recent rally in gold for the first time in the history of gold, as I recall it, was accompanied by rising real interest rates. This is very unusual. It has never happened before. And it shows you that this rise in gold is not due to monetary affairs. That will kick in later, once the dollar really turns weak, uh, sometimes in 24, later in 24, uh, when the Fed begins to ease. But this is due to geopolitical changes going on in the world. And I think we have seen the low. Uh, I'm not uh, like the gold bucks who always say uh, we go to the moon in the gold price. But I would think uh, next year we could see uh, 2,800 or something like that on the upside. Okay. I mean, that would still be pretty material, right? That would be about a 40% increase from where we are right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we live in a very volatile world uh, geopolitically and in financial markets, and we will have big moves up and down. And being a passive investor, you know, uh, your portfolio probably for the next 10 years stays even and you get frustrated because your returns will be very disappointing. So you have to make sure to stay on the right side of these mini cycles that uh, that I uh, see going on and that I continue to expect going on. Because if you don't, you will get uh, a very disappointing return uh, from your investments. Well, to go back to your, your roller coaster analogy, uh, you may go through the whole ride and, and then right back up where you started. You may not have made any progress over the course of the whole ride, right? That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, look, in, 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 you, you, I think you know this, Felix. We, we have... Um, uh, financial advisors that come on this program regularly um, to show people what a good professional financial advisor, how they think about managing capital, you know, in this type of world environment. And you're basically doing them a big solid here by saying, uh, you know, the era of easy passive investing has really much come to a close and to, to make money going forward over the next decade, you're, you're likely going to have to take a much more active approach. So in, in wrapping up here, Felix, um, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. I could easily talk to you for another two hours. And I know the, the audience would love for me to, but I promised your folks that I would respect your time. Um, are there any other major trends that are shaping or you think may shape your, your investing strategy from here that we haven't talked about yet? We have talked about the major assets where we haven't uh, touched on is the Japanese yen. You know, Japan is an interesting uh, situation. The stock market performed extremely well because the currency went down dramatically. 
and because uh, the yield curve was lifted, which uh, helped uh, the banking sector and bank stocks did very well. And that, and that together with the export stocks that benefited from the weak yen uh, drove uh, the Nikkei to higher levels. Um, we are probably not at the point where the Japanese are going to change uh, the monetary policy yet. Uh, they are still on yield curve control modus. Uh, uh, I think they eventually will change. And the most important point is when all the central banks of the world begin to ease next year, I think in the second half of the year, begin to ease, the Japanese will not. And at that point of time, at the very latest, the Japanese yen will begin to strengthen. And keep in mind that the Japanese yen is undervalued on a purchasing power parity basis by about 40% or so. And uh, the Japanese yen was used or misused as uh, the most uh, uh, important funding currency in the world, which means, uh, translated into a simple language, the shore position out there is simply outstanding. And once the yen changes, whether it is uh, uh, from current levels or whether it is uh, from 160 level later on, then it will be a dramatic uh, uh, move. And dollar yen could then easily go from wherever it trades at the high, maybe 160 uh, to 100. So I think that will be a gigantic uh, currency move. I traded the yen uh, occasionally, and uh, I think the current situation is sort of resembling the late 1990s in the dollar-yen. Uh, I remember in 98, the dollar-yen was trading at 148, and about three weeks later, it traded at 108. Wow. And I was, uh, I was, long, uh, I, I was long yen and short the dollar, uh, why are options? Uh, it, it was uh, one of my uh, better trades, and that's why I, I like to remember myself about it. <laughs> I had other trades that didn't work out that well. And I I was in touch with Julian Robertson because Julian, uh, I knew for many years before, uh, we talked occasionally, and he was on the other side of the trade. And I told him about, and he didn't believe it, and uh, and that move really crushed uh, a tiger, and then he reorganized his whole organization. So so the move that uh, will come, and, and I'm not sure whether we'll have another move higher first into the 160s uh, on dollar-yen, together with the dollar rally that I expect um, early next year. Um, once it turns... It will be a fantastic trade. All right. Um, so, is the the main way you plan to take advantage of that is the currency trade, similar to what you would put on decades ago? Yes. Yes, and I will do that via options. I'll do that options. via options. Okay. Um, oh, fantastic. Well, again, just to put it out there, uh, doors always open for you to come back on this channel if you think, uh, hey, now's the time to really start uh, moving into that trade. Um, I'm so glad I asked about that because I, 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 that, that's a great opportunity I, would, I, I wouldn't have thought to have asked you about. Um, so, Felix, uh, thank you. I've got one other um, important question to ask you, which I'll ask in a second, which is, you know, we've been talking about uh, 
you know, investments to be making uh, with, with your financial assets. Um, I've started this this very nascent new um, routine of asking our august guests like you uh, for their thoughts on any non money related assets that that folks you would consider you would urge folks to consider adopting in their lives. Real quickly before I do, um, besides watching you when you come back on this channel the next time uh, you've got something important to share with the world, um, is there a place that folks can go to follow you and your work in the interim? Yeah, you can get to, um, uh, you can send an email, uh, info at uh, felixzulauf.com, or you can go to the homepage, uh, felixzulauf.com, and, uh, and our marketing uh, people will take care of it. Yes. Okay, great. And when I edit this, Felix, um, I'll put the URL to your website there up on the screen. Folks will also put a link to it in the description of this video below. So you can just go uh, there with one quick, uh, one quick click. Um, all right. Well, folks, um, please um, show your appreciation for Felix uh, coming on this channel and sharing so much of his expertise uh, and his planned strategy with us. Uh, do that by hitting the like button uh, and then click on the red subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And I want to remind folks, too, that uh, I have started, I've resumed um, my practice of um, releasing my Adams notes, which are my key takeaways from the important interviews I do on this channel perhaps none as important as this one that we've just done here with Felix. Uh, so if you want to read uh, my notes from this interview, uh, go to Substack, my Substack, become a premium subscriber. The URL for that is adamtaggart.substack.com. Um, all right, Felix, we're at the key question here. Um, what's something that is not necessarily financially or monetarily related that you would encourage today's listeners to think about uh, adopting in their lives? Well, human beings are... Uh social animals uh, and uh, I'm a family man so I tried uh, from early on when we had uh, when I got married and had relationship and kids to invest um, uh, a precious amount of time uh, to my family and I think uh, family and partnership uh, is uh, exciting uh, it's uh, inspirational uh, it's joy and uh, if you have all of that and peace in your relationships, that gives you so much power uh, for the rest of your life and for other things in life. Uh, at least that's true for me, uh, that I find that a very important aspect of life. All right. Very well said. My wife, who is a, a marriage family therapist, uh, would agree with you uh, right there, Felix. <laughs> um, I also talk a lot about this channel, about uh, the interviews that you can find on YouTube, where they sit down with people who live to be over 100. And they ask them, OK, you've, you've done life. What's the most important things? And they say they always say the same three things. But the first one is always the quality of the relationships. Uh, and so I think you really nailed it with that one, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Felix. It's just been an absolute joy. Um, really look forward to seeing what happens next year uh, along your uh, your uh, predicted path here. I've got to say, though, your um, past predictions have been scarily prescient. So I'm definitely personally going to be uh, putting a lot of thought into how to position based upon what you've laid out for us here. But I can't thank you enough. OK, thank you very much, uh, Adam, for having me. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I will certainly come back. Yes. Thank you. You're going to make a lot of people happy with that. Uh, and speaking <laughs> okay. of which... Everyone who's watched, thanks so much for watching.